Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church today. My name's Kevin, and I am the pastor for North Langley Community Church's Aldergrove Campus, which is where you are today. In case you don't know, North Langley, uh, we have how many campuses? Three, that's right. So we have our, our first campus is uh, from Walnut Grove, and it's right on 96 and about 210th, and so they have services at 9 and 11. And then we have our, our second campus, which is in York's Inn, that's right. Does anyone know where they meet? Richard Bullpit Elementary, that's right. Thanks, Brittany, and uh, many others as well. And so they're, they're meeting, they have services at 10, but our favorite of all of the campuses is, of course, right here in Aldergrove. And so, yes, here we are. Don't tell Jeff or Matthew, but this is by far the best one. Um, if you are just kind of new, I just wanted to let you know that we are part of uh, a bigger church as well. And so if you're new and you're just kind of like checking this out, I just want to say welcome here. I know that coming to church is a big deal. And so thanks for coming and, and uh, worshiping with us today. I pray that you experience God's presence today. And if you are still feeling like you're trying to get connected, like Matthew said, we do have a newcomer's uh, open house today. It was going to be at, at someone's house today, but they were kind of flaky and they canceled on us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was me. Um, Long story, people got sick, and I was like, oh, we can't do it at my house, and then they got better, so we could do it at my house, but anyway, we're doing it right here at three o'clock, but the good news is, is that means that we could fit all of you, and so uh, if you want to come today, I would love to personally invite you. We're just going to be hanging out in the foyer. It's a chance to, to have some conversations with some of the staff, some other people that are just kind of uh, new to this community, and to ask some questions, hear a little bit about our, our journey as a church and the different things that we offer and how you can plug in and get connected. So that's today, but if you're going to come, just come let me know after church today that you'd like to come at 3 o'clock. There, there is going to be appetizers. Mm, yum. Some of my favorite Costco spring rolls. Yep, that's right. Okay, so uh, we are right now in the middle of a series called Love and Light, which is all about sharing the good news like Jesus. And uh, it, it's about like, how do we share this hope? How do we share the love? How do we share the affection that we have for Jesus with people in our lives who maybe don't know Jesus or don't have a relationship with God? Uh, and we call this word evangelism. Now, evangelism is a word that kind of has a bit of a, uh, it, it's a tough word. There's a lot of mixed emotions that go with it. A recent uh, Angus Reid study showed that only 29% of religiously committed people in Canada viewed evangelism positively. And so maybe it's because it feels a little bit like a marketing strategy, like we're trying to market Jesus, or maybe we feel like we're a, a used car salesman and we're pushing something that, that maybe people don't want, or like it's part of a pyramid scheme or something. But it, we, we have this a, a feeling that like sharing our faith is this like kind of this icky, weird thing that, that we don't feel super comfortable doing. So we're, we're doing this series to try and just help remind us that we are all about sharing the good news. The gospel simply means the good news of Jesus or the victory of Jesus. And so when we talk about evangelism, all it means is that we're sharing our faith, that we're telling other people about the impact that Jesus has made in our lives and what we think that he can do for them, that he offers love and grace and forgiveness and acceptance, not just to us, but all who believe. We've had two weeks so far in this series, and so last week we talked about salt and light and, and how our lifestyle and our actions and the words that we say, that these things need to kind of line up, and the way God has intended it is that it's supposed to create a difference in our life that is obvious to people, that, that, is, uh, that, that causes us to live and behave in a way that, that people look at us as a little bit weird, as a little bit strange, but a really good weird and a good strange and something attractive about that, and so that when people see us, they, they see the notice 
noticeable impact that our faith has on our lives, and that's attractive. Christians are supposed to add flavor and, and zest and joy to life. We're supposed to be diffusers of joy as Christians in our world. As well, last week, I felt like I was a little bit too harsh on Camp Luther. Um, I don't know if you remember, I told a story about the chalet, and, and afterwards, I was like, oh... If you like Camp Luther, it's, it's like, it's okay, it's a good spot, it just isn't like a five-star hotel, okay, that, that's all I meant to say about that. But, and then two weeks ago, two weeks ago, John talked about the importance of extending an invitation, that we just say to our friends and family and people that we love to just come and see who Jesus is and the difference that he's made in our lives. And it's like the disciple Philip who invites his friend Nathaniel or the woman at the well who goes home and she invites her community to just come and see who Jesus is. And John talked about that, that it's just like sharing the five out of five star rating, right? Something that we love in our lives that we want to share and that we want to tell other people about. His thing was, was cookie butter, which he still hasn't shared with me. And the other thing is air fryers, which I think every home should have an air fryer. That's my five out of star rating. But when we talk about Jesus, it's just simply sharing something that we love that we want to share with other people. Today we're going to talk a little bit more practically and we're going to talk about what it means to cultivate good conversations with our friends. That's it. If you're really good at conversation, you can skip today's sermon, just start doodling. But we're going to talk about what it means to cultivate good conversations with our friends. We often use a gardening metaphor when we talk about someone's faith journey and there's the planting, there's the planting in good soil. And then the next step is the, the growing, which is like there's cultivating and there's watering and there's taking care of the growing plant. And then at the end, there's the harvesting or the reaping. And today I want to discuss that middle section of cultivating and what it means to cultivate really good, relation, or really good conversations with our friends. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is Paul speaking, and he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So there's different roles to play there. And then he goes on to say, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. See, Paul had planted the seed and introduced people to the idea of faith. And then Apollos kind of was there to, to walk alongside and to, to journey with people. And he was the one that was watering and cultivating. And people were getting into an argument about which of these things is more important. Which is more important, the introducing people to Jesus or the helping people grow in Jesus? And Paul comes along and says, you know what, none of that really matters because it's all on God. It's all on God. It's God who makes it grow. God brings us into the work that he's already doing in people's lives. Daryl Johnson says, evangelism, which is exactly what we're talking about today, evangelism is simply joining into a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with someone. So what Paul did was important, what Apollos did was important, but it is God's work who makes it happen. And because of this, in 2 Corinthians 5 it reads, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I love how the New Living Translation says, it says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, that we are calling people into a relationship with Jesus. And here, the, the Bible calls us Christ's ambassadors because we point to Christ. Notice that Paul says that, that God is making the appeal through us. He's saying that you are the plan. When it comes to your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow students, whoever it is, the plan for them meeting Jesus is you. The plan is me, that we are the plan. God is, God's appeal is through you and I. You are 
are the light on a hill. You are the salt of the earth, and you are an ambassador of Jesus wherever you go. I was thinking about ambassador, and it made me think of brand ambassadors. You know what brand ambassadors are? They're celebrities that kind of endorse different topics or, sorry, different products and things like that. And you're supposed to associate uh, a, a celebrity with a certain product. And so um, I, I, I want to test you a little bit. I have a couple examples. So Beyonce was given $50 million to be a uh, brand ambassador for what product? Does anyone know? $50 million and no one knows? Okay, I'm going to give you the first one. The first one's Pepsi, okay? So here's Beyonce, and uh, there she is drinking Pepsi. That is $50 million she got for that. Okay, let's try the next one. This, this person's been on tour lately. Uh, yes, we're talking about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was given $26 million to say that she likes to drink what? Okay, I think I heard it. The answer is Coke, yes. And so I'm trying to like give equal to Coke and Pepsi. And so I think that if she were to get this endorsement today after the Eras tour, she might get a little more than Beyonce even. Okay, this one, um, this one, we'll see. We'll see if you get this one. If I say George Clooney, what brand are we talking about? Oh, okay, all right, there we go. So George got $40 million for telling you that drinking Nespresso is really good. Wow, Beyonce, I, this is not the demographic I was expecting. <laughs> yes, okay, and so we have these brand ambassadors, and when we see them, we think about something else because they represent that thing. They're a spokesperson for that thing. There's also political ambassadors that go and they'll live in another country and they represent the interests and the, the government and the, the homeland that they are from. And so we are to live and represent Christ in this world. Our priorities are intended to be focused on a way bigger world than just this one, than the kingdom that we see. But we are focused on representing Christ and the kingdom of God, that we are his hands and his feet. We extend an invitation to come and see, to come and see and taste something that we know to be good. But the difference is we're not inviting people to a product, we're inviting people to a person. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says that we are the aroma of Christ. It reads, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And so what this is saying is that as we move around our city, that we're to look like Jesus and we're to do the things like Jesus did and say the things like Jesus said. And we're supposed to bring this fresh fragrance of Christ. Have any of you driven by McGavin's on Fraser Highway when they're baking fresh bread? Yes, that's my, every time I drive by there, I like, I hope they're baking bread right now. And sometimes they are, and when they do, I just, I want to go buy fresh bread. That smell is an ambassador of fresh bread. And so when people look at us, the beautiful aroma of Christ is intended to draw people to Jesus as we represent him with our words and our actions. So the question is, how do we represent Christ as his ambassadors, as the aroma of Christ? The way that I want to talk about today is to cultivate good conversations with other people. I want to explore some of the ways that Jesus interacted with people and see if there are things there that we can copy today and follow his example. So I have three things for us to consider today that I hope are going to help cultivate good conversations about faith and life and God. 
So three things that Jesus did that I hope that we can do today. And like Apollos watering, that we can be cultivating and facilitating movement in people towards Jesus. Okay, the first of these points is to listen and be interested. To listen and be interested. David Kinnaman says that spiritual seekers are much more open to exploring Christianity when they know a Christian who is willing to listen without judgment. This is what people want today. This is what people crave today. This is what people are hoping for when they talk to us and they know that we are Christians. That someone is going to be willing to listen to them without judgment. Have you ever noticed how when Jesus talked to people, sometimes he behaves very differently? Sometimes when Jesus talked to people, he would come across as very harsh and critical. And other times, he seems so full of grace and mercy and compassion. And that's because he knew his audience. With those who considered themselves to be religious and self-righteous, Jesus spoke what they needed to hear, and he humbled them, and he cross-examined their convictions. And with those who were broken and rejected, Jesus spoke the words that they needed to hear, words of acceptance and forgiveness and love. So Jesus approached the Pharisees and the poor very different. And he approached the self-righteous and the sinner completely different. See, evangelism is never this cookie-cutter thing. Ways of sharing your faith that seem completely ineffective to me might work amazing for you in conversations that you have. For me, the idea of door-to-door evangelism, you've heard of door-to-door evangelism, that sounds terrifying. Now, I'm a pastor, and when someone knocks on my door and wants to talk about faith, I'm like, I get freaked out, and this is my job. Door-to-door evangelism does not appeal to me, but I know that for some people, they have seen fruit from that. Or little books that we call tracks. Does anyone remember tracks? We used to do tracks in the church a lot, and they might not be the, the best way for us to, to share the good news about Jesus today, but there was a time and place when those things were very effective. There was a time when I was taught, and I believe that the most effective form of sharing my faith was having a compelling argument, a logical argument to share with people for what I believe. I was taught that the best way to to share was to have this kind of well-polished explanation of my faith. And I was taught to share the four spiritual laws, okay? Some of you might remember these. So the first one is that God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Second, that, that this thing called sin came and broke the relationship that we have with God. And because of that, there's separation and we need to be reconciled to God. And number three, the good news is, is that Jesus came. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he, and he uh, paid the price for our sins. And he rose from the dead and he lives eternally. And, and because of that, we can have a new relationship with God. And number four that when we surrender our lives to him, that when we give our lives to Jesus, that we can be reconciled to God both now and forever. These are the four spiritual laws. This is what I was taught to tell my non-Christian friends as like the first thing I would do when I would start talking to them about faith. These things are really good. These things are really good. However, people that do research into evangelism and sharing our faith are suggesting that simply sharing these four spiritual laws maybe isn't enough or maybe isn't the first thing that we should be doing. 
David Kinneman is from the Barna Research Group, and he put out a report in 2019 called Reviving Evangelism. And in this section of my sermon, a lot of what I share comes from his findings. And they explored how culture evolves and changes, and so the package or the method or the way that we share our faith needs to change with culture. Because the best uh, evangelistic tools of 10, 20, or 50 years ago might not be the best tools for us to use today. He goes on to say that different generations have found different methods to be effective based on the questions that they're asking. So if you're a boomer, do we have any boomers here today? Yes, we do. (laughs) So when boomers ruled the world, we're going to say when each generation rules here, the, the quest was for truth. And so boomers were looking for logic, and so uh, sharing your faith was about a logical appeal. It was an intellectual argument, and they were looking for truth. And then he goes on to say that millennials have been looking for significance, that they're trying to find answers about their purpose, their identity, and what the meaning to life is. And that for Gen Z, that they're trying to go from brokenness to wholeness, to fix brokenness in their lives as well as brokenness in the world. As for me, I still haven't found what I'm looking for because I'm a Gen Xer and I just think we're good, right? <laughs> we're good. We, we don't need a lot of supervision. We just, we're okay. We got it all figured out. But what he's saying is, is that as culture changes, the way we share our faith needs to change as well. And so today, he says, for Christianity to be valid, it needs to not just be true, but it needs to be good. People need to not just see it as the truth, but as something that is good both for the individual and for society. And so uh, Kinnaman says that the best way to share your faith today is to simply to listen. Let me read this quote again. Spiritual seekers are much more open to exploring Christianity when they know a Christian who is willing to listen without judgment. What spiritually curious people are looking for is non-judgmental Christians to listen. And part of knowing your audience, like Jesus did, is to know what our audience needs and our audience needs to be listened to. In a world where mutuality is such a high value, being able to listen and be interested, okay, this part's important, and be interested in someone else's thoughts and ideas is basically required in order to be heard. See, chances are that for someone to listen to anything that you have to say about life, about faith, about God, about Jesus, means that you first need to listen to what they have to say and what they think about life and faith and God and Jesus. For many of us today, there's a greater importance on understanding one another, mutual understanding, than there is on even knowing the truth. Because you can just look up the truth. We can Google anything. Like, we live in a time and a place where, where there's, like, uh, facts or whatever you want them to be. There's false facts and there's um, uh, fake news and all these things. And so people aren't concerned as much about how much you know about your faith as they are, are you authentic with your faith? I've heard it said that you can win the argument but lose the person. So knowing the truth is so important. Knowing these four spiritual laws are so good and true. And there is a time and a place to share those things. But according to Kinnaman's research, maybe instead of that being step two or three in our conversation with someone, it needs to be step six or seven. That we need to take a lot longer to listen and to hear what people have to say. And again, Jesus knew his audience. He knew what they needed to hear. And for today, people we're talking to need us to listen. 
Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. Okay, number two. In cultivating good conversations, we need to ask great questions. Okay, I love this quote. This is my favorite quote in so many sermons. That I've. The, the Bible records 307 questions Jesus asked, along with 183 questions others asked of him. But do you know how many times Jesus gave a direct answer? Eight. Eight times. And some scholars argue that only three of those occasions was the answer he gave completely direct. Jesus was 40 times more likely to ask a question than provide a direct answer, give or take. And this coming from the one and only person who walked the earth, who actually knew all the answers. What a great quote. And so if we are to cultivate good conversations like Jesus with people who don't know him, we need to follow the example of Jesus and ask a lot more questions and give significantly fewer answers. See, many of us have done Alpha before. It's a course, and it's all about discussing great questions together. There, there is, in Alpha, there's no question or opinion that is off limits or that you can't share. It's a great course to understand the basics of Christianity, as well as a place for people who aren't sure what they believe about faith or who don't believe in God to come and explore what it means to follow Jesus. North Langley does Alpha regularly. Both our Walnut Grove and Yorkson campuses are going to be launching Alpha in about a week or two. And, uh, and so if you're looking for an Alpha course, you could go jump into Alpha right now at one of our other two campuses. We decided it was best for us to run it in January, so we're going to be starting Alpha here at Aldergrove in January. And Alpha gives us some great examples of awesome questions that people can ask. Because it's kind of their format. It's kind of like their model. Is they just say, let's get together and discuss good questions. So here are some examples of questions from Alpha. If it turned out that God existed and you could ask him one question, what would it be? What makes you happy? Think about that question. How simple is that? If you're just chatting with someone and you just say to them, what makes you happy? Why do you think bad things happen? I love this question. Have you ever had to forgive anyone? How did you do that? Have you ever tried praying? What was that like? What happened? Have you ever experienced God speaking to you? These are the types of questions that cut to the heart of what really matters and what people are thinking. Jesus was so great at asking conversations. In Matthew 20, he says to the blind man, he says, what do you want from me? He goes straight to it. What do you want from me? In Mark 8, to those considering the cost of following Jesus, he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? In Luke 6, to those who called themselves his followers, he says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Jesus asked really great questions, and it is a gift that we can offer our loved ones by asking great questions, to simply be interested in their life and try and listen to their heart, to do less speaking and more listening. What are their concerns when it comes to faith? What are they wrestling with? What are some of the things that might be blocking their pursuit of God? What is God already doing in their lives? So if the very first quality that someone who is curious about Jesus wants to see in us is that we're willing to listen without judgment, we need to take time to really listen to their answers and ask good questions and ask follow-up questions, not jump in with our own thoughts and opinions. Can we do this? How good are we at listening? Today on your way home, I want you to talk to the person that you came with, if you came with someone, and say, how good am I at listening? And then stop talking. And then listen for what they have to say about how good you are at listening. 
David Ausberger says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. So when we listen, when we ask great questions, and when we give people space to talk and share their heart, they are going to feel loved. They're going to feel like we care. Not to be quick to answer questions, but quick to answer questions. And I think it actually takes a lot of the pressure off in sharing my faith to know that the way I share my faith isn't necessarily to have the right answers to all the questions someone might have about faith, but to instead be asking good questions and helping this person consider faith. And so this brings us to point number three, which is point conversations to what matters. For this point, I almost said point conversations to Jesus, but then I started thinking that maybe not every one of our conversations with our non-Christian friends should land with Jesus. I was thinking of my good friend Jeff Renault, who's the pastor at our Yorkson campus. If you know Jeff, you know where I'm going with this. Every conversation you have with Jeff, it's like, yes, Jeff, I get it. You're a Calgary Flames fan, right? Like every single time. And it's like, Jeff, I don't need to hear it. Or if you're like, if you know Matthew, every conversation I have with Matthew or every sermon with Matthew Price is, I get it, you read C.S. Lewis, right? Like every sermon, multiple C.S. Lewis quotes. And I feel like with John Reeser, every time I give him a mic, I know that I'm going to get roasted from the stage. It just seems to what happened. I can't tell if with John and Matthew, if I'm like a really nice boss or maybe a really mean one. I can't tell, but every single time. So when we see our friends and we're having these great questions and we're cultivating conversations and we point these conversations to things that really matter and we ask for wisdom to know when we point a conversation to what matters and when that thing that matters is Jesus. I once had a youth mentoring program. Some people here actually I think were maybe a part of the youth mentoring program that I had and we set it up for intentional mentoring and coaching and spiritual growth and it was awesome and we had all sorts of great relationships that happened and it was super beneficial. And at the end of the year I did a survey to kind of get people's thoughts and feedback on how the program went. One of the questions that I asked was multiple choice and it said, do you wish you had less frequent conversations about faith, more frequent conversations about faith, or we had about the right frequency of conversations about faith. Every single leader that I asked this question to said that they wished that they had had more conversations about faith with their students. Now guess what the students picked? If I remember correctly, every single student said they also wished that they had had more frequent conversations about faith. And I found this super interesting because here we had this program set up for people to talk about faith. And they would get together and they would go for pizza or coffee or Slurpees or whatever it is. And they would do these things. And here you had these leaders that wanted to talk more about things that really mattered. And you had these students that wanted to talk more about things that really mattered. And neither one of them felt like that they could bring it up as much as they wanted. They were so afraid of being vulnerable. There's something really vulnerable about asking good questions, about steering conversations towards things that matters. There's something very intimate and personal in asking these tough but deeply meaningful questions. I believe that we want to have these conversations, but we're scared to steer them towards things that matter. Craig Springer says, are we willing to enter into the slow and free-flowing work of listening? Can we craft spaces for listening within our church culture and church strategies? 
Do we believe verses like Ecclesiastes 3.11 that says he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the heart, in the human heart, implying that God is already at work in someone's heart and life. See, some of the people I love spending the time with the most, the people that I really enjoy spending time with, are people that push past superficial questions of the comings and goings of life and ask me what really matters. People that ask me, how am, I, how am I really doing, right? Say, how are you doing is a question. How are you really doing is a different type of question altogether. People that ask me, what makes you happy? People that are asking me, what's actually making you sad right now? What's really hard in your life right now? What, is there anything you're worried about? How are you doing in your faith, in your walk with Jesus? What doubts or questions might you be having? When people ask me these questions and kind of get past the superficial, I love that when people point conversations to what matters. So these are the three things that I want to talk about, about cultivating good conversations, that we listen, that we ask good questions, and we point towards things that matter. And I believe, believe people need safe spaces and places to explore these questions in life. During this series, we've been hearing stories about people coming to faith, and today I want to invite up Amelia. So everyone say hello to Amelia. <laughs> Amelia is our youth ministry associate. She is also a pastoral uh, assistant for John and I here at Aldergrove, uh, so she does all sorts of things as well. Uh, Amelia is a middle school volunteer, so she's skipping out on youth right now. I am. And uh, she's also one of our alpha people, and she has a story that includes a fair bit of alpha. So, Amelia, I'm going to turn it over to I you. I do. I'm just going to use yeah. this table. Go for it. Amazing. Okay. Let me start off by saying Kevin is a great boss. He's really fun to work with, and he treats me really well. That's at least what it says. I'm kidding, Kevin. I had to make the joke. I have two bosses. You're my favorite. But if Dane asks, he's my favorite. Uh, okay. I <laughs> just want to start off. I'm so nervous. Oh, let me breathe. Okay. Everything's fine. Um, sharing your story is actually kind of gross, and I don't love it. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, man, now I'm shaking. Well, um, but I um, have had the opportunity to share my story in many different capacities, and I feel like I change it up a little bit for each one, not changing the details, obviously, but more just like changing the perspective I'm coming from. So um, I'm going to take you through a journey, and I'm going to skip through a lot of my stuff, or maybe just be a little bit vague. Um, if you're like, oh, my goodness, she's so vague. Why is she being like that? It's just because I don't have the time to summarize 26 years in five minutes. So um, I'll hit the, the big points here and uh, yeah, tell you a little bit about how I came to serve here at the church and my journey in that and how I came to serve at Alpha as well. So I did not grow up in a Christian home and about 15 years ago that was actually kind of weird to say. Like I didn't hear that very often when people shared in front of the church which is kind of funny because now it's very common and I also came from um, a family of divorce that was also not very common back 15 years ago when I first became a Christian so it's kind of cool to start off like that. My story of faith comes from my best friend Alexa and she's going to hate that I'm sharing this story because it makes her look really bad, but I'm okay with that. Um, it's a great story I've held inside, traumatized me for life. It's why I spend $140 a month to go see a counselor. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, my best friend Alexa and I met in uh, kindergarten, and so I was a bit of a weird kid, believe it or not. I was a weird kid, and I was also super awkward, and I wasn't really good at making friends, and so I would just awkwardly stand around people until they eventually just took me in as a friend. That's how I became friends with all of my good friends that I've been friends with for 21 years. So Alexa was one of those people. 
And I remember being super awkward and shy, and Alexa was really outgoing and super exciting, really friendly, and kind of the popular girl. She'll love that I'm adding that into that. Uh, kind of the popular girl there. And so I remember walking up to her. I had mustered up a ton of courage to walk up to her and to ask her if I could come to her house and for a play date, right? So I walk up to her and I said, hey Alexa, can I come to your house for a play date? And she looked at me with the most disgusted look on her face and said, you know it's not polite to invite yourself over to someone else's house. I was immediately, it was detrimental. Immediately, I was just like, I've been rejected by Alexa. This is horrible, sad, and I kept it all inside. I remember telling my mom a few weeks later, um, after my mom came to me and said, we're gonna go to Alexa's house, and I was like, nope, no we're not. Uh, did we get invited? She said, yeah, we got invited. I'm like, okay, I guess it's okay. When I told Alexa that story years later, she goes, well, that's just what my mom told me. So I just decided to tell you. I'm like, well, what? why was there a disgusted look on your face then? Um, but that's okay. So we knew each other from kindergarten, and then we started to get to know each other a little bit better. Um, we weren't in the same classes, so we didn't really hang out a ton. I had like other people that I just stood around and called my friends. Um, and so then Alexa and I met again in grade five when we were all in the same class together. There were five girls and 23 boys. How many teachers here are like, what in the world is happening there? 23 boys and five girls. So we all stuck together like glue, us five girls, but we dominated the class, believe it or not. Um, so it was really great. But Alexa decided to invite me to church in grade five. Now, this is a time when we started at 8.30 in the morning, and I didn't come from a Christian home, so 8.30 on a Sunday morning sounded absolutely ridiculous, and we were in Kid Connection at the time, so it was like tail end of grade five, and so we were learning about all these stories, and I was just like, what is all this stuff, and why am I up at 8.30, and this is ridiculous. So there were a lot of excuses that I used um, to get out of going, and uh, a lot of ridiculous excuses too, but um, again, she kept inviting me. She was super persistent about inviting me to youth and I was like okay if this shuts her up I'll, I'll, I'll go right but then we moved into grade six and we started with our middle school program that's why I love middle school so much because I came to faith in middle school I didn't know anything about Christianity and everything was new to me everything absolutely everything was new to me conversations began to happen in lots of different places that included youth leaders uh, my best friend Alexa's mom uh, who I call Mama L I still call her Mama L to this day her name's Lisa she has a real name not Mama L um, my youth pastor at the time was also super uh, pivotal in that journey of learning about all these new things that I was learning about people listened to me as I began to verbally walk through what I was feeling they listened to the crazy questions that I asked and listened and challenged some of the ways in which I thought about my faith. They didn't challenge me in mean or aggressive ways, but more just, you know, pointed me towards thinking in a different way or um, thinking about things in a new light. They were slow to answer me in a lot of the questions I asked, and they thought through them. They thought through the things that I was saying. They thought through their answers, and they answered me with a great deal of care. So there's a bit of a gap here but in my journey, but in high school, around 16 years old, I stopped asking questions, okay? My faith had hit a point where the passion for uh, faith was gone. I began to answer questions for others, and I was quick to answer, and I was not genuine with what I was saying. I was getting asked questions, um, and I was answering very quickly and without any thought, and I didn't care what I was saying to people. I wasn't being genuine. I knew that I wasn't being genuine too, which is what makes it a little bit more sad, and eventually that guilt got to me. 
Eventually, I just stopped asking questions and answering questions completely, and I lived by my own thoughts and actions. At church, I was one person, but in my real life or the outside world, I was not living out the gospel that I strive to live out. Uh, I also knew that I wasn't representing the gospel well, but I continued to do it, which is also really sad. I just really didn't care. And at 16, I met someone. It's a boy. So I met a boy. Uh, it's always a tragic story. I met a boy who, uh, yeah, not always a tragic story, gosh. Um, but he made me question my faith, uh, question why I had faith, if it was all real. Um, he meant a lot to me, and because he didn't believe, I didn't want to either. And this was a journey I went on for three years, and there's a big, long history story that goes along with that, but we won't go into that today. So at 19, I was invited to Alpha. It was actually Alexa who suggested I go to Alpha, because um, again, she just had to creep into my life with all that persistence. But again, it was just she knew what I was going through, and she just casually mentioned that maybe I would want to go to Alpha, but I didn't listen to her. Um, instead, I saw a link online uh, on Facebook, I believe, and uh, yeah, just see how important social media is. Just sharing that actually brought me to come to Alpha. I went into Alpha with my mind made up. I remember going in the first week, and I was fully ready to end my relationship with God. All of those videos were going to be the last reminders of what I was leaving behind, Nobody knew what was going on in my mind. I didn't let anyone in. I remember talking to Matthew Price many, many years later, and I told him that at that first Alpha that I was about to just end my relationship with the Lord, and he goes, are you serious? I had no idea. You hit it really well. Nobody knew that I didn't, uh, that I didn't want to live in the light of Jesus anymore, but Alpha is all about questions. And in a full circle moment, I was brought back. I felt compelled to ask questions, but I also felt compelled to listen. To listen not only to what others were saying, but to the voice of God as well. At the Holy Spirit weekend, which is just a weekend, um, it's actually a one day that we do, we just spend the entire time learning about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and how we can um, communicate or hear the Holy Spirit or feel the Holy Spirit. I was met by the Holy Spirit in that weekend, and it was a beautiful experience, and words cannot describe it at all. Well, I actually tried to describe it with words, which I'm going to share because it was so ridiculous. I tried to describe the Holy Spirit and that feeling, and I described it as, quote, a weird feeling in your stomach followed by warmth, which I now realize sounds super gross. <laughs> that is, that's, that's actually diarrhea. Like, that's, that's gross. That's, that's Holy Spirit indigestion, my friends. Yeah, you go use that in your vocabulary when you're chatting with people. Absolutely gross and disgusting. But in that, the Lord still loved me, even though I said it like that. And the Lord had really cool plans for me um, at the perfect point, uh, at 19, it was the perfect point. This led me to have more conversations, to ask questions, and also to receive answers. I joined the Alpha team and began facilitating a table. It, this was all about asking questions having conversations, but also, more importantly, listening. Throughout my journey, asking questions and having people verbally process became a huge part of my faith journey. I still do it today. I am such a verbal processor. If you're ever sitting in my office, if you're a fly on the wall, I talk to myself all the time. And I've heard that it can also be kind of bad when you're doing that, but I just verbally process everything. You'll just see me at my computer. I'm just talking. Who am I talking to? Well, I'd like to say it's the Lord. That's who I'm talking to, just verbally processing. Others might be a little bit scared by that. 
Um, I didn't, um, oh, now I've lost my place. Well, welcome to me. Okay, here we go. Throughout my journey, I'm just going to restart that point. Uh, Throughout my journey, asking questions and having people verbally process became a huge part of my faith journey. I didn't need people to really know the answers, but to listen and also model a lifestyle for me to turn to. I began to watch carefully how people were living out the gospel in my life. And the people that I was seeing weren't pretending to be people that they weren't. They were genuine and authentic. That's so cool. My favorite line in Alpha talks about how uh, Nikki Gumbel, who runs Alpha and does all the videos, um, said before he became a Christian, he was always weirded out by Christians because of their unique smiles. Okay, so just turn to your neighbor and smile at them right now, just real quick. Super awkward. Did anyone see anything different? Like, it's just, I find that so funny. But it's those little things that people were noticing about people of why they were Christians. I don't know what the smile was. He didn't describe it at all. So you might be doing it to people when you smile at them. We don't know, right? But think about that. Everyone, um, everyone has a smile to invite people. They, you might see that. Uh, You might see something different, but it's these small actions that actually can lead us to having those conversations further. Many people will say that it wasn't how Christians answered questions that made them believe it was all real. Often it's about the lifestyle that they model or the way that they listen without judgment. That's super key. Listening without judgment. People know when you're listening and judging, right? You, it's this listening to the whole, like in a wholesome and authentic way, listening to the, the things that people are saying, the things that they're struggling with, like the people at Alpha did for me. I was really struggling with my faith and they were just listening and they were loving me and they just, they didn't come across as harsh or negative to me, which is so beautiful and so amazing. Um, the gospel is beautiful on its own, right? God is doing the healing work. That's not our job. That we're having conversations with our friends, like we said earlier, the Holy Spirit is working in all of those people that we are seeing, right? That's not uh, up to us to heal them or to uh, convert them over, right? Those are beautiful things that can happen, but the Holy Spirit's doing the work. A thread that combined all the people that I, that I encountered on my faith journey and still encounter was that they all pointed me to Jesus, right? To Jesus. That's so cool. He was doing the healing work in my life, and through questions, answers, and listening, I was pointed to him even when I didn't see it or see what he was doing at the time. So yes, listening is so key and important, I think, a big thing, but also living out your life according to how the gospel shows us, and just being your authentic and genuine selves when you're chatting with your friends and having good conversations. And I'm just going to plug really quickly, if you are thinking about doing Alpha or inviting someone to Alpha, please, please, please do it. I know it's scary and gross when you're like, oh, I want to invite this person, but they might judge me or think I'm weird or strange. That is okay. It's okay because that is just, it's so amazing when you can text a friend and be like, hey, we have this program and I've been thinking about you. What a great text to get. Like, that's so cool. And whether they decide to come or not, you are planting that small little mustard seed that the Lord is going to be sowing into and growing inside of them, even when you're not directly doing that. So please invite your friends to Alpha, invite your coworkers or yourself or people that you live with, whoever. Invite them to Alpha because it would be super awesome to see this whole place packed up in January and also see some of you at our Walnut Grove and Yorkson campuses as well. Thank you, guys.
Thank you so much, Amelia. Yeah, what a great story. I want to bring us back to the, the verse that I started with, where Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God has been making it grow. Like Amelia said, that's the beautiful part of our journey, is that we each have a role to play in someone's life, but it is the Holy Spirit who does the real work. Sometimes he uses us in, in amazing and powerful ways, and sometimes he uses us in spite of our feeble attempts at sharing the good news. I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. Throughout this series on sharing our faith like Jesus, a lot of us have been praying each day. At 11.02 each day, my alarm goes off, and that's because in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. And so a lot of us at North Langley, at all three of our campuses, each day at 11.02 are praying that God's kingdom would come into the lives of people that we love, people that we really care about. And so I would encourage you to think of one or two or three people that you can pray for. And for me, I have five names that I specifically pray for at 11.02 each day. To set an alarm on your phone, if you're at, at our offices, the alarm goes off at the same time and we all pray together. But today, um, I would love for us to be praying for our friends and family and the neighbors of people we know that we would love to see encounter Jesus and that we would actually pray for ourselves that we would be able to listen to these people without judgment, that we would be able to ask really good questions and that we would have conversations that point people to Jesus. We have an amazing prayer team here as we're talking about prayer. And so if you would like to pray for, for one of these people, uh, someone from our prayer team would love to pray with you. If you're going through something that maybe has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but you need an encouragement, you need some help, you need someone to pray for you. These aren't counselors, but they're people that can intercede on your behalf. I encourage you to come and visit the front on either side here as well in the prayer room that's across the foyer. People are there that would love to pray with you. So let's stand and pray together and as we enter into a time of worship. And so Holy Spirit, we pray come, like we pray in Luke 11 verse 2. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come first into our hearts and our lives and may that overflow into the lives of our friends and family. God, we want to be cultivating good conversations that point people to you, Jesus. So I pray that each one of us in the, in the next couple of days or weeks, God, that we would feel more confident and that we'd feel a little bit more bold in taking conversations with our friends and family and neighbors to things that really matter, God. Help us to ask good questions. Help us to ask questions that are really meaningful, that cut to the heart of what our friends and family are going through. So Lord Jesus, we give you this time. In your name we pray, amen.